Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and this is the first week of 2018. And I'm really excited to try this weekly journey with you as we are going through the 29th Psalm this week and also going through Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, which is Mark's gospel on the baptism of Jesus. So, I figured we would start this with Psalm 29, which is, I think, actually a very, very interesting psalm, kind of going through the power of God. I've looked at multiple different commentaries on this. I'm getting a lot of my different stuff from Working Preacher. I've not sponsored this podcast, but I highly recommend Working Preacher. Lots of great content there, lots of great commentaries. It also gave me kind of a different perspective since I'm not an ordained minister, just how different people are interpreting this and gives me kind of an idea and a step to kind of how are people interpreting it and how can then I provide some more content and some more depth into that. So as we look into it, when you start looking into like starting with verse three, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of the glorious thunders, the Lord over the mighty waters. And so we're going to deal with a lot of the water concept and and that when we get into looking at Mark's gospel of Jesus's baptism and some of the neat things with water. But I first kind of wanted to start it with when you're looking at the majestic thunder. And if you ever really look into things, it's how is thunder actually created? And thunder is from the cause of lightning. Lightning with the energy that's being transferred, all that energy, when you're having a lightning strike, it's causing a huge change in temperature, in that in that area and when you're creating a huge change in temperature you're going to have the rushing sensation of the cooler air and the warmer air mixing and that's what we perceive as thunder that's that rumble sound or that crack that we get depending on how close we are and also the the amount of temperature change and what's actually going on. So I think it's a really kind of an interesting image to kind of look at that when you're looking at just that simple thing of how the lightning is this vast change and how the rushing sensation, like God rushing in, the change happens and how the air is moving in a rushing sensation into this situation. We also then get how the voice of the Lord is powerful. And it breaks the cedars. Specifically, it talks about the cedars of Lebanon. Now, really, a lot of things you look at from scripture, are they still around? And the cedars of Lebanon are actually a tree. It's still around today. In fact, it is the tree on the official flag of Lebanon. And it's actually, in its current status, is semi-endangered. It's in a very vulnerable state. There's a couple different plots of them or groupings of them. It's a tree that it takes 20 to 30 years to get to a full maturity, but it also can live up to 1,200 years old. So it's an old tree, but... It's also a very desired wood to work with. A lot of people really liked working with it. There's a lot of 
estimations that when Jesus took his Jesus boat out to the Sea of Galilee, this is most likely the type of wood that was used was the cedar of Lebanon. And with that, part of the reason it was used so much is that it has some really cool properties, that it has some antimicrobial properties to the wood, it has a very nice fragrance, it has as quoted here from Wikipedia, which has tons of sources and can actually be used decently well for sourcing. It has a fine grain and attractive yellow color. It's very durable and immune to insect revenges. So it to me, it's kind of interesting when you look at this in the correlation to kind of us as humans, that he's breaking these things, kind of like us breaking us down. And when you look at it also from a hardness perspective for people who are really in the wood, it's similar to kind of ash. And ash, as many people know, is not exactly a very hard wood. It's used in baseball bats a lot. It's known for just being how light and how it's a quick growing. So unlike the cedar, that it takes a long time to fully mature, but it does grow decently quickly. And it kind of gives us, at least here in the United States, kind of a, an idea of how durable that type of wood is. So, And I will be attaching with my podcast some of the sourcing and different things that I'm using, some different places that you can kind of read up on some different stuff on your own, if that would be something of interest to you. So as you're going into this, you're looking at... Okay, so you have a tree that it takes a long time to mature, kind of like the human. It really takes a long time, and it and it's around a long time. Also, that it's not a very, it's just sturdy tree, but it's not the an oak or something extremely impenetrable. So it's not like God's really trying to show off pure power in that statement. And to me, I think it's almost more relatable to a human being, especially as we kind of get into this next section. He talks about in verse six, he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Now, this is something for me, I actually had to call up some farmer friends of mine. Uh, My mother grew up on a farm and kind of had to ask her, Had you ever seen this? What does this look like? And I will, again, I'll attach a video of this. And my mother would talk about how when the cattle had been in the barn all winter, and when you were first releasing them out into the pasture, into the grass, was a skip to it. And I have found a video. It's not young calves. It's definitely older cows. But you can definitely see the skipping and the pure excitement out of some of these very large animals. It's very interesting to see. And so, okay, we look at this in the perspective of us and how the voice of the Lord or the, or the Lord can make us literally skip, make us so excited and just joyful. If you look at the cows as they're doing it, there's a joy that you literally see in how they're interacting. It's very, very interesting. Continuing with verse 7, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire, which to me, okay, flashing of flames, it's the consistent change that God continues to work with us, continues to make us work with us, have us continue to grow, that we're not stagnant. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness and shakes the wilderness of Kadesh which there is some kind of exact questions on exactly where Kadesh was. 
but it's definitely south of Jerusalem from what I was picking up. The voice of the Lord causes oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And this is kind of one of the things that then I kind of want to get into a little bit, which I think is really interesting. So as many people know, oaks are known as a very, it's a hardwood, it's a strong wood, it's a condensed strong wood. And if you talk to somebody who deals with firewood, one of the things that they'll discuss and talk about is how when you have oak, it is energy dense, but when it whirls, when it twists, when you get a, you know, where it's, where the branch comes out, those are desired pieces of wood, especially for like heating a home because the energy is so much more condensed the wood has to be tighter grained which then has more energy stored there so you're talking about the voice of the lord is causing the oaks to whirl or causing the oaks to store the energy and with that it strips the forest bare now stripping the forest bare one of the things that i think about when you're when i'm in picturing that is the bark just coming off the tree stripping the bark off the tree and when you think about bark we often think of that as still part of the living tree and really the bark that we think of with you know where it has if you're thinking of like an oak tree where there's grooves and all these and it's kind of protrudes out it isn't a smooth surface that's actually considered the dead bark The live bark is where it's that last outer layer that's still all intact, and that's right against the tree. And the old bark is the dead bark, is literally where the tree has grown too big for that bark, and then it caused it to rip apart. And so thus you have the outer bark is the dead bark as additional protection for the tree. And going down to the living bark which is the final line of defense. It's also the beginning of the structure of the tree. When it's talking about stripping the forest bare, he's causing us to store this energy, but shed all our defenses. We've shed the defenses. We're down to the structure of the tree. And and that his temple will all say glory. So we're stripping down all our defenses that we have is what's being called upon so that we can say glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. When we're shedding that outer bark, that's when we can really sing glory. When we can really feel and know the full potential of what God's doing. The voice of the Lord then is causing us to be able to store that energy in us, but we have to shed the defenses. We have to shed these things that are essentially we hold in front of ourselves. We hold in front of God. We, we make excuses. I know for me, I've been wanting to make this podcast even a couple days ago, and I keep making excuses. So, There's lots of things that can be taken from this verse, but I look at it from when you're trying to see where is this kind of going, this could easily be used to talking about the vulnerability of us and using these symbols out in nature to really get into that. So if we then go into Mark's gospel, starting in chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, first it goes into 
describing John the Baptizer in the words of Mark, of appearing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism for the forgiveness of sins and for repentance and forgiveness of sins. And the people of all the Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem are going out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. It then gets into, in verse 6, I think some very interesting things that I looked into. And some of this was brought up in some of the commentaries that I found, which I thought was really interesting. Mark's gospel, as we know, it's 16 chapters long. It's very bare bones. It's the oldest of the four Gospels, and it's probably used for especially Matthew and Luke, along with the Q source for the writings of those two Gospels. But Mark goes into describing the details of John, which I find very interesting because Mark is not known for this. Mark is known as the bare bones. So why does Mark then go into on verse 6 that John is clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So I see this as a couple different things that we can look into. If you look into John here with what he's wearing, it's very similar to the prophet Elijah on what he is described to be wearing in Elijah. And so it's essentially, it's tying back here to the original prophets and what they were wearing. So here it is, again, remembering what is the purpose of the New Testament and a lot of these is to show that Christ is our Lord and Savior in the human flesh. So when you're seeing this, it tears the tie with the camel's hair and the leather belt around his waist as the connection to the old prophets, first and foremost. Second, he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, locusts and wild honey, very, very interesting things again that he's bringing up here. Locusts is brought up multiple times in the Old Testament. Now, locusts is just, it's like a grasshopper, early stage grasshopper. What are these known for? Destroying, eating fields away, just annihilating fields. And if you look back even into U.S. history, there is talks about these different grasshopper famines, if you want to put it that way, where they came in and just leveled a field. So it's brought up multiple times and never is locust brought up in a positive sense. It's always is a threat. This was one of the plagues to Egypt was locusts being spread out over his field. But then he also brings up wild honey. Wild honey, if you want to look at it from a biological standpoint, very unique, doesn't spoil. It's a sugar is another thing, but it also has a lot of natural healing properties to honey. A story that I have with my family, I had a great uncle who was a beekeeper and he was in his 60s at this point and he got married in his very, very late 50s. But he's out splitting wood in his early 60s, and he takes his axe and splits the wood, but then it goes into his boot between his big toe and his first toe. And as you can imagine, as a newlywed, his wife was fairly concerned, saying that he should go into the emergency room. And my great uncle looked at his foot and kind of looked at it some more, and he said, fetch me my honey pail and put honey on it. And amazingly, within the week, his foot was fine. There's a lot of actual really 
high quality stuff. And again, I can attach some links to that below. Really interesting with honey. The other one I kind of want to get back into too that I found kind of unique, very interesting is camel's hair. Now, camel's hair is very important to the camel for two things as coming from the United States. We think of camels in the Sahara Desert in these dry, arid, hot temperature areas. And we forget that in these areas at night, because there's no humidity, it can also get very cold. So camel's hair in and of itself is very good at thermodynamic properties. So this would be actually, in my opinion, be a very desired clothing of the time that you had something that was very good at kind of getting heat off, but also keeping heat in when the temperature was colder. Also, camel's hair is a very intensive process to be able to get in a garment even now because you can't shear it like you shear a sheep. You can't go and cut it. You have to wait for it to grow out and then they harvest it as it's shedding like when a bird is shedding its down feathers or as a young chick is shedding its down feathers, its early feathers and getting its flight feathers. Very similar, the molting process for a camel is the only time you can really get this hair and then you sort it based on if it's a guard hair, so one of the further out ones to protect it or an inner hair, and then or be able to use these in these different properties. I thought it was a fairly interesting thing to look at. But then we get into the thing where he's baptizing and Jesus is coming up to him. He's saying, you know, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. Jesus then is baptized in the Jordan and we have the heavens torn above and we've heard this story multiple times. What I find interesting in this is the water. Water is one of the most unique elements that we have on this planet in so many ways, and it's probably something as we continue to go on this journey together, I will reference a lot of times, probably dabble in bringing more stuff about. Again, I'll probably attach some basic videos. Again, it might get kind of science-y, but just try to pick up at least the premises of what we're talking about here. But I'll give you some overview of what we have here. First and foremost, H2O, water, as we know it, is the only element on the face of the planet that occurs in all three states, a solid, a liquid, and a gas, all on our planet naturally. So we have steam from a shower or steam from the geyser pools out in like Yellowstone. As we're familiar with right now in the northern U.S., ice is very common. We also have liquid water in lakes and streams and rivers all over the world that we're very common with these things. But there, because it's so common to us, there's certain things elements and aspects of this that we kind of forget about that make water super, super, super unique. First and foremost, as we go into this, we'll look at, if you look at water and how it becomes frozen, becomes a solid, at the molecular level, the H2O ions, first and foremost, are charged. And I know I've been saying that a lot. They're charged based on polar bonds. So you have an N that is slightly positive and a slight N that's slightly negative. So it makes so that water is naturally attracted to itself. 
That's how we get drips of water instead of this consistent fuzz. It's trying to stay together as much as it can. We see this when you're a kid, when you have like a penny and you're told by a teacher, how many drops of water can you get on a penny? And we see that the water is over the edge of the penny and rised up over the penny. And it it doesn't, when you look at it, it doesn't make sense. And how is it happening? And it's these bonds, these polar bonds holding it together. Second of all, we have the cool thing of as it's getting colder, as water is approaching freezing, the molecules of water start to become organized and to become organized, they spread out, thus making it less dense. With it being less dense, that's what causes water to flow as a solid as ice. And that's so, so important. Our world and the possibility for life would really be not possible if ice did not float. If you think about it, just think about the basics of a lake turning over because the ice freezes, it sinks to the bottom, the other water rises to the top, and so there would be no such thing as fish. There And there'd just be, there is so many different things that way. Our oceans, if you want to look at it from another aspect, a huge carbon sink and the holding energy to in there so that it holds heat. That's why we sweat is to try to wick some of that heat out of us. But that we see it up here in the north all the time that you can have snow on the ground, but the water isn't frozen and you can still have freezing lakes even though the air temperature and probably not but you could have it where the ground is unfrozen and the lake still is frozen so that's some of the unique properties to this but the one that really sets itself apart is the simple one that we use so often and that it's a great sullivant it's an absolutely great sullivant and what i mean by that is it's super good at dissolving things so like if you've ever made Kool-Aid, you're dissolving the sugary substance and then you're putting more sugar in and you're dissolving sugar. We're able to use it in these different things to break things down into the more simple components. And the image of that I see is super important when we're looking at baptism because here is God being baptized in the Jordan, which we'll talk about very shortly. But that sin, when we're looking at like the locust and the wild honey, that we have this sin as part of us. We have this in this. And baptism in the church now is kind of seen as this time when the wall, the barrier, in a lot of ways is broken between us and God, that we're acknowledging or starting that journey of that there isn't that wall, that separation isn't there between us and God. And it's like the water is dissolving sin that is holding us apart from God or holding that barrier between us. Like that feeling when you regret something or that you should say something to someone, that through baptism we're almost washing that away. Like what we talked about in the 29th Psalm, when God comes in and the voice sheds the defenses, the water is dissolving this barrier between us and God. 
and that through that we are able to freely talk about him freely learn about him and freely connect with him on the final note that i'll also mention the jordan river one still does exist but two based on something that happens actually quite a bit around the world and that's happening a lot more often than we probably should the jordan is actually semi-drying up it's at levels that are significantly lower even than 100 years ago with the flow rates. It's also a very dirty river now because we're over-irrigating it and we're also dumping sewage and different things for manufacturing. Again, I'll attach some links into the bottom. If you're wanting to look into conservation movements for that or the Cedars of Lebanon, which again, there's groups for that that are also trying to do some preservation work there. But it is kind of neat just to even read about some of this stuff and how when people are going to see the Jordan now, it's nothing of like what it used to be. And even 30, 40 years ago, the levels have dropped a lot significantly. I would very much encourage people to go and look into some of that stuff. It's pretty shocking how much the shoreline of the Jordan has shrunk. But as we have gotten to the end of this, I just wanted to mention and thank you for tuning into this. And Again, I'd be more than willing to hear your responses, your ideas, your thoughts, comments on this podcast. And it's early on. There's a lot of things I know I still have to learn. A lot of things that I'm excited to learn this with you guys. So feel free to to contact me and reach out. Right now, I'm probably going to be emailing this stuff to you. So feel free to shoot me an email. But as I'll wrap up, I, I hope that God continues to bless you through your faith and amaze you through science. Thank you very much, and I'll see you next week.